you have your Bibles with you, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who can commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. This month, we've been looking at what biblical quitting looks like. That is when you finally say, no more. I'm going to stop pretending and I'm going to allow God by his Holy Spirit to transform my life. That means quitting. Quitting those things that are damaging to your very life and damaging to your very soul. Let's review. Week one, we looked at something. And we looked at there's good news and there's bad news. For some people... It will be good news. For some, it will be bad news. The good news was that for some, you will take into your very being what God's Word says and experience the life-transforming power of the Word of God. The bad news was that there would be some that would find all sorts of excuses, excuses why not to apply the teaching of God's Word to your life. For some, you'll have a whole list of excuses. So the one take home from week one would be this. Think about what could be different in your life and in the lives of those around you. If you would just quit making excuses, don't come with good ideas, but come with God ideas, ideas and thoughts centered around the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and around his power and his glory. Do what you can do and trust God to do what you cannot do. Now in week two, the thought and the idea that I wanted you to take away was quit complaining because complaining will cost you a lot. Complaining will and does offend the very heart of God. A critical spirit will cost you significantly, both spiritually and physically. It will drive others away from you and, God forbid, from the church as well because having a critical spirit or a complaining spirit is like having spiritual bad breath. In week three, we talked about quitting fear, quitting living in fear. Almost every fear that you and I have has been learned and is irrational in light of God's love, in light of God's power, and in light of God's grace. But because God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, fear is a form of humanistic faith. Fear is just faith in the wrong things. So the two take-home thoughts from last week were what you fear reveals what you value the most. And what you fear is where you trust God the least. So let's get into this week's message. As we finish up our pulpit series on biblical quitting, I want to finish on how we compare and look at four categories on how we compare. And if you see any evidence of yourself or your character in any of these categories, tick it off in a mental note to yourself. Number one, we compare possessions. Our cars, it may be that you've got a new car and the new car you have is last year's model, or maybe it's the year before and you've pulled up at a set of traffic lights and the latest model pulls up next to you. 
and you start comparing the differences. The, the wheels are better, the shape is better, the color palette and the paint job is better. It's that new wolf gray look that you were really wanting but couldn't get. And we do the same with our houses. Is it big enough? Does it look good enough? Do we have the right furnishings? Do we need to extend? And we begin to compare. And heaven forbid, if you ever go to Ikea and see their showrooms and kitchen displays because that will wipe out, well, that will wipe you out with, with a comparison overload. And we really do compare our possessions. And if you, that's you, that's you this morning, just tick that mental box. Number two, we compare our appearances. For the ladies in the room, you know, does my hair look as soft and fluffy as the, the girl in that shampoo commercial when she does that slow motion flick of her hair? For the blokes, we don't have that problem at all. We just compare if we have any hair. We really do compare our appearances and if that is you, tick that mental box. Number three, we compare our performance. We compare jobs, we compare our employment. And when I worked as an account manager in an industrial chemical company, I always compared my territory sales with the other reps' territory sales. Maybe it's perhaps your motherhood and you look at other mothers, other mothers who have managed to get both earrings in this morning and have all their kids' faces wiped and their clothes clean. And you compare yourself and think you're not up to par. We really do compare our performance in all sorts of aspects. And if that's you, tick that mental box. And finally, we compare our circumstances. If you're married, you look at your circumstances and compare them with other couples. Perhaps it's with children how many you have or how many you don't have. Perhaps it's in the financial standings. If you're single, you look at your circumstances, compare them with other single people. Perhaps they have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and, and, and you don't because, because it's simply of your circumstances or you wish you were married right now, but your situation doesn't allow for it. Or maybe it's your situation in life right now and you're not where you thought that you should be. And you look at the people around you and they have moved on to other things. And you just don't get it. And your prayer is, why can't I just get a break, God? Why can't I get a break? Sometimes we compare circumstances and if that's you, tick that mental box. The fact is, beloved, comparison really does permeate every aspect of our thinking. And it does this through so many different aspects of our life. Am I successful as so-and-so? Do I look as good as this person or that person? Or how do I fit in? Where am I on the rating scale? So why does God hate it when we compare? This is the question that we are trying to answer this morning. And we will do that this morning by nuancing three different thoughts about why God hates it when we compare and how, with God's help, we can quit comparing. First thought is why does God hate it when we compare? Because comparison 
is the, is the death of contentment. Comparison is the death of contentment. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul says, we do not dare. Now, when we say the word dare, it's not pronounced in any, any flippant way. We say, don't you dare come in here or don't you dare do that. And we tend to put a little cockiness and a little attitude into that dare. So why the strong language by the Apostle Paul? Don't you dare do this. The reason he uses strong language is that he understands that comparison kills Christian joy and it robs our meaning and it can destroy relationships. That's why there's an attitude in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They are not wise. So why, why does he say that people who compare are stupid? Because the Apostle Paul understands something that we don't. And that is success in life is not a matter of being inferior or superior to someone else. Success is about being who God wants you to be. And not who you wish you were. Because what happens when you compare is this. We begin to build a mirage of another person. We wish we had their personality. Oh, if I had her personality, or oh, if I had his personality. They're so funny, they're so witty. If I just had their hair, if I just had their body build. Now, if I just had their spouse, because their spouse really cares for them and treats them well. And if I just had their house and their car, and on and on and on. And all of a sudden, we have allowed all of this input and we're building a mirage, and it's not real. It's a mirage of who we wish we were, and there is no victory in that, because we're not being who God wants us to be. And while we are on this line of thought this morning, I do feel for our ladies, because you girls are constantly being bombarded with comparison. You will get compared to all these mirages that sit on magazine covers at the supermarket or at the gas station checkouts or on TV ads with these photoshopped airbrush mirages that simply are not real. So when you compare and within that comparison, you will find the death of contentment. So why does God hate it when we compare? A second thought is comparison makes us prideful. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a story about prayer and he highlights the religious leader's prayer. Luke 18, 11 to 12. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. That is about as verbose and pompous as it gets to pray like that. But the truth of the matter is, we do it all the time. Maybe not in our prayers, but we do it a lot in our thoughts. Let me paint you a picture. 
you're at Walmart or Target or Kmart, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. You're in a big box store. And you're in or you're near the toy aisle. And it's arm, and Armageddon is taking place. And you're thinking, what on earth is going on? And as you stick your head around the corner, there's a three-and-a-half-year-old little girl or little boy throwing a screaming fit on the floor. The child looks like it's, it's, it needs a demon exercise out of it. The three-and-a-half-year-old is red in the face. There's snot and tears as the child is screaming that it wants a toy. And the poor mother is beside herself as she is flipping out. And we stand there thinking, I can't believe that. Look at the way that child is acting. There's obviously no discipline in that home. My kids would never do anything like that. And so people who think that way don't actually have children. And definitely not a three and a half year old. But what happens is, that we begin to look at other people's circumstances and we say, I would never do that. Comparison is just another form of legalism in our lives. When you begin to compare your circumstances and your situation to someone else's, legalism always leads to absurdity. Comparison makes us prideful. C.S. Lewis said it this way, we say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or good-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. So why does God hate it when we compare? Because in comparison we find the death of contentment. And secondly, in comparison, it makes us prideful. Comparison makes us prideful. The third thought is comparison makes us resentful. 1 Samuel 18, 6-9 says, When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine. Now, if you are not familiar with the Bible, you might be asking, well, who's David and who's the Philistine? Well, David was a young bloke who fought a giant called Goliath in a battle, and he's the Philistine. Because his king, King Saul, was too scared to fight, so David came to his rescue and fought the giant and killed him. The Bible tells us that David was only a teenager at the time, and he took down this Philistine giant with a slingshot. So this is the David that we're talking about, the young man who trusted his God and faithfully went on to serve his king. And it says, When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. When we begin to compare, 
it will make us resentful. So here is the key thought that I want you to take home. When we compare, we will resent God's goodness in other people's lives and ignore God's blessing in our own life. This is exactly what happened to Saul. As Saul began to look on, it did not matter that David had vanquished Goliath for him and that David had loyally served the king for so many years. It did not matter. All Saul could see was David getting all the credit. This man could not be happy for David. In other words, he became resentful of the goodness of God in David's life and ignored the blessing of God in his own life. And we do the same thing every time when we let the cancer of comparison come in and eat us up. And we begin to be resentful of God's goodness in someone else's life. And we can't see the God-blessed life that we live. In fact, we ignore it in our own lives. We ignore God's blessing in our own lives. So comparison is a serious problem that we have to overcome. So here is the $62 million question. How do we do this? How do we overcome a comparative spirit? Let me break it down in a couple of concepts. However, unless you take these on board, unless you internalize them, they will just remain what they are, concepts. So if I can encourage you to make these concepts a part of your daily living and understanding, then you might quit comparing. So how do we do it? The first thought is this. You and I have to know what we have. Philippians 4, 11 to 13. The Apostle Paul is writing under house arrest. So many of his freedoms have been, have been severely restricted. And he pens these words. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, but I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Right there, he says, I have learned to be content. This is not something you get by popping a pill and then all of a sudden you're content. All of a sudden you have, or you couldn't have cared less if you don't have the latest eye gadget or the latest clothes or the latest car or the latest home appliances. All of a sudden you don't care. No, it doesn't work that way. Learn to be content. That's the operative word right there. Learn, learn, discipline yourself to be content. It means that though and through a God-ordained process, we learn the secret of contentment. So how many? How does that play? How does that play out in our day-to-day -day lives? The Bible says that we have a spiritual enemy, and his name is Satan, and he is the enemy of your soul. He, he, he likes to try to put thoughts into your mind. Thoughts like, you should really do this, or you deserve better than this. The Bible tells us that we have to stop, think for ourselves, and take that thought and every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So how do we do that? By knowing God's word. That's how we do it. Knowing God's word, being in God's word daily. Because by knowing the truth, the truth will set you free.
The truth will set you free from the enemy's propaganda. We have to know what we have and take thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. This is a learned process. So let's pick up the scripture again. Paul says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him that gives me strength. So what does it mean for you? Have you learned the secret of being content? Have you stopped comparing? Are you going after God's best for you? Remember, success is not a matter of being inferior or superior to someone else. Success is about being who God wants you to be and not who you wish you are. So how do we kill this comparison, comparison cancer? First thought, we need to know what we have. The second thought is this, you have to know who you are. Understanding this concept is so crucial to our success as Christ followers. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship, or we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are God's workmanship. You are God's masterpiece. You were born in and by the knowledge of the creator of the universe. You are his masterpiece. You have been equipped with gifts and talents and things that God wants you to see and do. God has put you in this specific time and situation to minister to those around you as an ambassador of his truth and his love. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. I pray today that you would know who you are, because when you know who you are, you know who you don't have to be. When you know who you are, you will also know what to do. So we need to stop trying to be that mirage we have fabricated in our carnal minds. We need to be who God wants us to be. So know who you are. Know who you are. I want to read to you a beautiful piece of literature by Dr. Ed Lamus, and it's titled, I Am a Child of the King. Because of who Jesus Christ is, and because he is my Saviour and my Lord, I am a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. I am chosen, accepted and included, a citizen of heaven and a member of God's household. I am loved by God unconditionally and without reservation. I belong to him, having been bought by him, with the perilous and precious blood of Jesus. I have eternal life and will be saved from all of God's wrath to come, guaranteed. I am a Christian 
I am not just different in what I do. My identity has changed. Who I am has changed. Everything has become brand new. I am a dwelling place in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. I have access to him anytime, anywhere, for any reason. I am God's creation, his workmanship. I was created by him and for him. So who I am and what I do matters. I am spiritually alive. I have been set free from the fear of death and have been given life to live and enjoy to the fullest. I am forgiven completely, totally and absolutely. I have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the sun. I have been freed from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. I am an enemy of Satan and at war with spiritual forces of evil, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. If God is for me, it doesn't matter who or what stands against me because nothing and no one can separate me from the love of Christ, not hurt, pain, loss, problem or brokenness, not persecution, trouble, difficulty or danger, not abandonment, abuse, addiction or appetites, not desires, food, sexuality or relationships, not life or death, angels or demons, not my past, the present or the future, no power, no person, no place, not anything in all of creation, not even Satan himself shall prevail. I am in the hands of Jesus, in the hands of God, and nothing and no one can snatch me out of God's hands. I will fear no evil because God is with me and he has promised never to leave me or forsake me. God's presence is with me everywhere I go, to the heights of the heaven, through the valley of the shadows, to the end of the earth, forever and always. I am a child of the King, and I choose this day to live as one. Father, I pray today that through your power and your might, that you would break the bonds of comparison in our minds. That, God, we would become complete in you, as your word says. And in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray this. And all God's people said, Amen.